before you dive into Now We Know, just don't forget about Real Relatable. This is Donna Green, and you're listening to Real Relatable. People often look at us and think we have it all together, but we are all facing struggles or battling various life circumstances. This podcast is to let you know that you are not alone. We're here to celebrate the wins, pinpoint moments of growth, and challenge one another to be true to ourselves. As we navigate our individual life's journeys, there's a time to break down the barrier and share so we become that much more real and that much more relatable brought to you wherever you get your podcasts. This month on Now We Know. Jonathan, <laughs> bienvenidos al episodio del mes de ahora sabemos. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what she said. Right. This episode of Now We Know, we are focusing on the um, beautiful relationship between the countries of Africa and Latin America and um, celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month all in one episode. So we watched this documentary called Afro-Latinos, a documentary on um, Vimo? Vivo. Vimeo? Vimeo. Yeah. And we had to hop on immediately after watching it because we watched it together and um, and I just, I need your initial reaction. It was so good. This, so good. I was just thinking like, this is the movie where the TV rolls into the classroom for those of us who are ancient that remember TVs <laughs> rolling into the classroom. And, you know, it sounds like, oh gosh, good. I get a nap. This was so captivating. It was so jam packed with information. It was so well done. It was just really well done. And I'm really happy that we watched it. What about you? I am thrilled. Like in like deep in my heart, I have felt like I am not living where I'm supposed to. Mm. Um like I've always been inspired by um I don't know, like the Spanish language and um, like I'd say I'm probably like 80% fluent, 80, 85% fluent. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Latin dancing. Like all of this spoke to my heart. And so as I'm watching the documentary, I'm thinking like, these really are my people. Yeah. Obviously, you know, <laughs> we're going to get into it. We're going to have to come back after we organize our notes mm-hmm. um, and, you know, kind of outline what we want to do for this episode. But truly, I'm just like, you know, what happened is that my ancestors clearly, you know, were all stolen from Africa, not stolen, were taken, whatever, were traded, if you will, from Africa. The 12 million that went to Latin America. However many that escaped and then thought America was going to be better and found mm. out the hard way. I think that's where I think that's what's in my blood. I think mm. I think I'm displaced. Um, and so that pool of like, you know, I went to Spain earlier this year, but in college, like I really wanted to go um, to a Latin American country or go to Spain um, any Spanish speaking country really, and just be there. And I thought I was going to meet my husband and not my ex-husband cause he's very white, but I <laughs> thought I was going to, you know, meet my husband and dance the night away and get married and live happily ever after speaking Spanish and all of that, that dream, there's still a possibility. It's a little bit more convoluted now, but I'm like, I think that's where I'm supposed to be. That is a really cool thing. It's really interesting, too, if you are a believer of all this, uh, the spirituality that comes with African heritage. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah, there's an ancestor calling to you or maybe a previous self that existed in those spaces that is like, yeah, no, that's that's where we belong. <laughs> like, 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 yeah. oh, like oh. There might maybe be something that to is. that. Gosh, I, I didn't even think about it that way. And I feel more of a spiritual kind of person we'll get into spiritualism versus spirituality, which is what I'm thinking. I don't know if that's, you know, the American version. <laughs> um, but wow, I, I need to sit with that because I hadn't considered it before. And now I'm like, maybe. I'm, I'm very much so I say woo woo just to like speed up the conversation, but Same. I am very much so someone who believes in that. I, I don't know if, I have solid beliefs in reincarnation or anything like that. But I do believe that 
there that we have so many people that existed before us in order for us to be here there's there's no way that there's not some sort of energy that connects us to them across you know the eras that we lived and i think that might be what's happening yes and apparently mine goes south of the border I'm pretty sure south of the border (laughs) and obviously back to Africa too, but we cannot wait to share this episode with you guys and get into everything that we learned from watching this episode um, or watching this documentary called Afro Latinos, um, the documentary. And we're just going to dissect it all like truly, truly incredible. Just stay tuned. (laughs) That was so good. Okay. That was great. I'm Donna Green. And I'm Jonathan Stokes. And this is Now We Know. The monthly podcast where we unpack and repack our Black history as you relate it to the world of today. What didn't we learn? What do we want to learn? What do we need to revisit to establish the historical truth and not just what we were taught? We're here to learn and grow together as a community with the intention of bringing awareness to better our futures. All right, y'all, we are back this episode we are going to dive i feel like you know we're just going to spend a bit more time on it i feel like um yeah because usually the items that we suggest to you all are free right there's no monetary input that you need to have i guess unless you need to have like a netflix or an hbo subscription kind of thing um but Afro Latinos, a documentary is on Vimeo and it's $9.99. And so if you can afford it, if you can do it, by all means, definitely watch it. But we're going to try and provide as much detail about this documentary um, as we can throughout our conversation on um, our Hispanic Heritage Month slash that intersectionality between us as Black people um, and our Hispanic or Latin American friends. And family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Also, guys, it's just a great (laughs) movie. I'm going to, I'm just going to back up that light suggestion to go ahead and rent it with another suggestion to go ahead and rent it. Um, You get to have it for 24 hours. You might want to watch it twice to pick up some details, but it's really in depth. And some of the things that stood out to me, and we'll get into it in the episode, I tried to find so I could you know, research a little bit more. And it's pretty limited information um, outside of like academic writing and outside of books. And so I love that they took some some things that, you know, is not fallen into my YouTube algorithm easily and presented it in the way that they did because I got a chance to learn so much from this, you know, $10. It's great. I agree. Yes. And now I'm doing more soul searching. <laughs> <laughs> What's your, yeah, what tell us about your journey with the soul searching. <laughs> I just I I would love to um like I don't know if it's that next step in determining the next line of my heritage or if it's um and it could still be wrong and maybe it's just something that I really enjoy that speaks to my soul in terms of this brings me happiness kind of thing. Um, or maybe it really is the ancestor speaking to me. I would like to think it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just makes me want to, you know, f- how can I figure out what that next step is beyond my great grandparents? Cause that's as far as it goes mm. for, to my knowledge. Um, mm. and I believe to my mom's knowledge. So, um, and my dad's knowledge. So we need, you know, I want to see what, what goes beyond Ooh. my great grandparents. That is so exciting. And I love that this came from watching this documentary. Cause as you all will hear, it is just laid out so well. And there's so many things that one could connect with that you might even find yourself kind of falling into. Well, now I want to do some legacy research. Yeah. Well, let's just get into it then, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So the documentary starts off um, and it talks about how it's, of course, we're talking about the diaspora. For those who don't know, the diaspora is the um, the pathway, I guess, or the destinations of which people were enslaved from the continent of Africa in different countries and then taken to um, various parts throughout of the world. And this is something that I had no idea about um, 
or I didn't know the the depth of it or the um, the gravity to know that 12 million enslaved people were taken to Latin America yeah. and only 500,000 were taken to the U.S. Right. Yeah. I think it starts with that factoid and it's kind of gobsmacking. I'm, I'm sure that we've probably learned about the 500,000, but that's devastating because of our station in life now, you know, mm-hmm. and how, how closely related to that we are right now. Imagine now 12 million. It, right. It's, that was that was a crazy number. And then um <clears throat> so sorry, I also um in that documentary they said something like about uh 150 million um Afro Afro Latinx people or Afro Latino people are in Latin America now and 90 million of which are in Brazil. Yes. Yeah. 90 yeah. million. Yeah. These are numbers I had never thought about. Mm-mm. Ever. And and I don't know if I'm able to conceptualize, to be honest, you know, that sometimes a number gets so big that it's like, OK, this is just <laughs> this reminds me that the world is big and it's bigger than my block. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one of those. Well, even though the world is so big, the what I took from it um, and we'll go along into, you know, the nitty gritty of what this means Um is that the problems that they have there are similar to what we experience here and maybe even worse. Um, so in Latin America, you know, they really wanted to distinguish this bloodline from the Spanish, right? So they were like, like, you can look black, but they're like, oh, but I have Spanish in my blood, right? Mm-hmm. And that um, is a big like identifier or a big, um, I don't know, differentiator for people because they don't, it's like the further away that they can get from being African black, then the higher rank they are. And so that's also how they distinguish their society based upon the color of their skin, which is obviously very familiar for us here in the U S. Um, like, the documentary thing. Okay. Think of this documentary as like present day Latin American Jim Crow. Mm. That's how mm. I received it. Yeah. From, but, and there's also such a legacy of it. I, yeah. it's, there's been like, it's, it, it's the colorism, it's the racism, it's an intersection of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And it unfortunately feels like there has been no, update just based on this documentary and what I think what I know um, from conversations about certain identity intersections like especially with Cardi B um, Mm -hmm. it's been brought up a lot about like who's allowed to say what and who's allowed to identify as what and a lot of those conversations are rooted in thoughts provided by this certain divide that's created you know it's like this noble blood versus whatever. It's like, oh no, these people, these black people are noble too. They were enslaved. Like exactly. It's perception. It's perception. And just for a reference to, you know, in this documentary, it was produced two years ago in 2020. June of Mm -hmm. 2020 is when it was released, I should say. Mm -hmm. So we're not even talking about like, oh, this is a documentary from the nineties or something. And this colorism and hair is very, very predominant um in their in their culture it's like no this is today yeah and that's that's still how they're living but let's go back a little bit too um in the documentary they mention how um and i think this is exactly how we got to where we are um here in the u.s but in latin america specifically they mention cuba mm-hmm. and um they mention how like you know they're the enslavers tried to rip them away from their culture as well from Africa um, in terms of their um, traditions from their religions or their spirituality um, to their language, et cetera. But Cuba, um, the enslaved people in Cuba were like, girl, bye. Right. We're keeping (laughs) everything that we can. And they preserved their culture and they fought back. Right. Yeah. And I just, I love that so much too, because then that allows them to have um, a lot of the African 
like the different cultures within Africa that influence into what they do. So they mentioned Haitian voodoo and how there's a Bantu influence there. Mm -hmm. Um, And just the way that they could preserve it, which then, you know, kind of makes their culture that much more interesting because then it's layered. Yeah. Super. It's super rich. It's also um, something special about uh, carrying on certain legacies. And I understand, at least from the documentary, that the Bantu group of people were the largest group of people that ended mm-hmm. up becoming enslaved and ending up in Latin America. So there's also a, um, something to be said about the strength in the number and the f- fact that at a certain at a certain number, community will be built. And at a certain number, we can get some shit done. Mm-hmm. No, the conditions are not ideal, but we're keeping this shit, you know, and like everyone mm-hmm. agreed and everyone played along and maybe some things were done covertly, whatever had to be yes. done to conserve it. It happened. And that I, I just think that's super powerful. And that's something that I hadn't ever thought about. Like you don't think about the trend or the, the hurdles that people might go through to preserve history, yes. you know, well, let's I, talk about what was covert, right? Yeah. So um, through, so the Spaniards, everyone's now Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or they're, you know, they're worshiping Jesus and all of that. But there's that layer <laughs> of it that the enslaved people kept from Africa to say, okay, I know that this is supposed to be Jesus Christ, but in my mind, I'm actually worshiping someone else. And so what you see right now is this picture of this white Jesus Christ. But what I'm thinking about or what's truly in my heart that, you know, I am, um, you know, giving praise to or praying to is really the African deities. Right. Um, I love that. Like That was really cool. That's so cool. And I'm not even like a religious person. I just thought it was just the way that they were able to maintain and figure out a way to do so. It's like, it's like they just knew that it was so important Mm -hmm. and with the number of people that they had it, you know, that helps to band together Mm -hmm. to keep that intact. Absolutely. Yeah. What I um, compare that to here, you know, 500,000 people, which is still not an insignificant number to be brought to the U (laughs) S enslaved that, you know, dispersing that amongst the colonies or however, you know, you want to call them. Um, and so you have smaller numbers that aren't able to band together, that aren't able to preserve that culture or that language or, um, you know, anything that was like, hey, this is home. And so I believe we talked about it before on the podcast, or maybe I've just had these conversations with people, is that even... Um, people who come from Africa to the U S now kind of look down on black Americans um, because we, you know, I don't know why exactly, but in my mind, they're like, well, you have no culture or something. It's like, no, we do have culture. It's black American culture, but this is what we were able to create Mm -hmm. um, from what was stripped away from us. But then in Latin America, all of our brothers and sisters there, they just beautifully got to hold on to what they could. Yeah. And that makes me happy for them. Like I, I, yeah. that brings me so much joy for them. I don't know if it's my ancestors that are like, yeah, girl, you're on the right track. <laughs> or if it's just like, you know, just happiness for people to be able to preserve, you know, their lineage and, you know, what's important to them and what gives you that identity Yeah, that we were stripped of. Yeah. And I think looking at that from a Black American lens, too, it's that we've seen what that smaller number of people, dispersion, uh, separation, Mm -hmm. create that that class system, you know, turn people against each other, what it has done. And if, if only the beginning had a different start, even if it was a different number of people, even if it was just a different location, a centralized location, something, something beautiful could have happened like what we see in um, Latin American culture across Mm -hmm. the board. So it's just interesting because we have um, knowledge about, how things ended up in different places. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
for me, one of the one of the interesting things that they mentioned, which is something that I think we both just tapped into, is part of the reason why um, that lineage, that that bloodline lineage uh, separation of class, was so easily enacted and like used to either uplift or put down people, was because if if what you know, if what you're taught about let's put it into our lives. Um, Mm -hmm. If we learn about black history and it starts at slavery, Mm -hmm. then it's undoubtedly going to happen that you think of black people as slaves instead Mm -hmm. of these are, some of these people are royalty, you know, Royal families that have been enslaved. And so it just starts to create discreetly these conceptions of what being black is to the point where people in Latin America, if they have uh, classically black phenotypes might feel like they have to cling on to whatever is not close to black so that they can survive. Mm-hmm. You know, that we have proximity that here. to whiteness instead mm-hmm. of being who you are. That yeah, made me sad. But- that made me sad of the documentary seeing that. Just the level of which I understand why, but it still makes me sad. Even like, it's not even just like the women. It's not like a women thing. It's the the guys too. Um, He was probably about my complexion, I would say, or maybe a little bit darker. Um, He's like, I might be dark, but I've got good hair. My my hair is good. And it's like, you have hair on your head. You have yeah. whatever it is. You have good hair, quote unquote. Yeah. Like your hair exists. Um, <laughs> like that's a good thing. So um, it and even what was it? One of the girls. Um, oh, I forget what they said. Uh, they asked her something about. Um, oh, because they were straightening their hair so much. And oh my god, um, they're talking about saying, texture. Yeah. And they're like, well, it's just nicer. It's finer. It's more presentable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we do that instead of having it be, you know, it's natural curl or whatever, you know, whatever that looks like. And um, they associated that with um, not even just presentable, but like you are a person more worthy of being accepted. Yeah, the word that kept coming up was refined, which yes, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, I think what's sad about it is that it's so familiar. It's not like that conversation isn't constantly happening in bl- modern Black culture, you know, about what makes somebody um, high value is a big thing right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the same concept that we see over there. And it, it's sad because on one hand, us as Americans are looking at it like, wow, you got to preserve a lot of your history. You have so much history baked mm-hmm. in, you know, and it extends beyond whatever the, you know, 1600s for you. It's it's ancient history, which is awesome. On the same token, on the other side, you're dealing with the same stuff that we are. Damn, colonization yeah. really did its thing, didn't it? For real. <laughs> it sucks. It really is. And, you know, part of... um part of how that plays into their society as well is like uh, one of the people who were commenting um, throughout the documentary mentioned how there's a question of like, okay, well, you know, how come like, why is it that black people have not progressed in these areas? Right. Mm-hmm. Hell, you could even maybe make a similar, similar, similar argument in some places here um, there is that question. It's like, well, if you're constantly held back um, from the color of your skin, from nothing mm-hmm. other than the color of your skin, and then that limits your access um, to what kind of maybe schools are in your area or the level or quality of education that you can receive, thus then can you get a good job if you haven't had a good education in society in general? No, not generally no yeah there's some people who you know can but that's not generally speaking that's like a white male they haven't had the same sorts of um items or same sorts of um uh predicaments predicaments holding them back so it's not apples to apples in that sense like it doesn't negate you know someone who maybe was white and grew up poor and like quote unquote made it um it's not to say you didn't go any, 
through anything, you know, difficult in your life or come from, you know, such a, um, a hard place, but this color of your skin didn't hold you back in that same regard. Right. Right. And so, um, it just, I don't know. It just, it was so powerful to see the extent to which, and even still from a a group of people that have more people than Mm -hmm. we do here in the U S more black people, more people that look like us and experiencing similar, um, situations are similar um hardships i guess or discrimination mm-hmm. as we did in the jim crow era but then also you know still today just throughout time um yeah, yeah it's it's interesting that contrast is crazy um one two things actually I didn't learn about before, or maybe I did, but <laughs> pleasantly uh, buried. Um, you know, the concept of being enslaved is a little bit foreign just because I was born in 1991. So like, mm-hmm. I understand from a book, but I can't physically like put myself into those situations and it's probably not healthy for me to do it. But <laughs> um, I had never really... I thought that there were actual cells where black people were put to breed as if, Mm. you know, because they're property, right? Like Mm. it's, it's money making. And so there were violent sexual acts made to create a workforce, Mm -hmm. which is, I don't know. That was, that was a lot for me to take in. It was run by the Jesuits, mm-hmm. um, which is so interesting because here in St. Louis, the Jesuits basically, um, they have the biggest university in the city and everything. It's so interesting um, yeah. th- how time passes and changes and all right. that. Um, but another thing I didn't know about, which is probably my favorite thing from the whole documentary, was learning about something called the Maroon Movement, mm-hmm. um, which is where... I, we'll call, we'll say runaway slaves, um, but a population of enslaved Africans would grow and then they would move. They just up and, and let's go, you know, and they survive mm-hmm. as a group and live in like small, I, I'd call them cities, but, you know, small, um, what do you, what would you call them? Villages? Makeshift I believe they're called palenques. Right. Called palenques compared to modern day terminology. Oh, like a yeah like a kind of like a village just sure yeah Yeah. sure um that was really interesting to me because it it um makes me think of when explorers would have to stay up while half the group slept and they'd have to look around them and that just happened for 15 years for groups of people that were led to somewhat of freedom Mm -hmm. um living in the mountains i I never heard about that i never heard of lemba um who i i looked it up and apparently the name the full name was sebastian lemba Mm -hmm. who was uh born of noble blood in let me not get it wrong um actually no it just says born of africa a member of the limba tribe Mm -hmm. um ended up leading this group um in hispaniola is that how you pronounce it sure Um, yeah Yeah. which is now which is now uh dominican republic haiti Mm -hmm. um he led these groups around um allowing people to live outside of the confines of enslavement and become people i mean i can you imagine just being a 15 year old (laughs) just never knowing why you're moving the way you're moving in these groups and these families in these towns villages like that i had never heard of that i had never heard of that and i just am still thinking about that (laughs) that's so much bravery that's so much pride and trust i mm. well because they they had the power in numbers also yeah like yeah and having that power in numbers is really what can help you move forward um, with whatever your movement is kind of, I guess, for better or for worse. Um, but obviously in this case for the better, um, you know, and part of like what you had mentioned, um, not to re-traumatize about the breeding, um, but part of why they had these is because the people that they were taking from Africa 
um, they're bringing the strongest and the youngest of the men and they're leaving behind the elderly and women and children. Um, so it's kind of leaving Africa with like not the greatest um, opportunity to, mm-hmm. um, to thrive. Yeah. And um, so they also had a lot of value put on to the people who were basically bred um, mm-hmm. for their strength and their knowledge and all of that. And then the women that they brought over, um, they were brought over for uh, being like a spy or a wet nurse um, or um, sexual objects for enslavers, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a mix of these women, unfortunately, being raped um, by these, quote, you know, purebred the studs of the group mm-hmm. and the, or of the of the men of the enslaved men and then also by the enslavers who are like doing all of these things it's all horrendous right like yeah it's like okay you're gonna like cook for me you're gonna do all these things and i'm gonna um you know do what i please with you when i want to also and then what happens and they have babies and then it's like oh well look there's spanish blood in there so then there's some sort of weird um, down the line, like, oh, well, but there's Spanish blood in me, you mm-hmm. know? Um, what I like too about um, at least the women being able to like work as a cook and um, things like that, I think that's where they were able to maintain some of that culture also, because there's a lot of Latin American food influence from the African women um, where they were able to, you know, pull their traditions um, because they cooked a lot. Right. And, you know, yeah, they had to cook for the enslavers, but then also, you know, for themselves. So unfortunate, obviously, but it is a nice way that they found to be able to maintain that through the food. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it, we, we celebrate that in American culture. And I don't think that we think about how those traditions are consistent across the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, because I certainly didn't think, okay, I'm going to go to a Cuban restaurant and have anything that relates to Africa in it, but that you do. And it's just now part of the culture, yeah. you know? Well, like when we watch um, High on the Hog, similarly, it had, um, they mentioned how there was, you know, that influence here, um, or maybe not here, but at least in Latin America, if you would have like um, arroz con frijoles, I think like rice and beans and stuff like that, like rice is such a staple in African cuisine. So yeah, that makes sense that, you know, in Latin America or in like Puerto Rico or, um you know, Cuba and all these places that where there's some sort of like form of that. Um, Obviously, you know, it kind of branches off from there too. We touched on it, but um, when it came to religion or religious practice, I had also never heard of uh, syncretism, which which you explained, you know, where it's a covert way to praise your gods and use Catholic saints as proxies. But I was really happy to to gain that word into my vocabulary because it just is more direct and it's a, it's uh, helped me understand how these cultures continue on. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm happy about that. And another aspect about religion that was really interesting to to learn about was how black Jesus was used as a conversion tool, um, for Catholicism, like mm-hmm. almost as manipulation, um, mm-hmm. just be like, no, looky, looky, like, <laughs> looks like you, right. You know, right. do this, follow our way or else you're not getting bread this week. You know what I mean? Like it was interesting to see how, um, religion was used as power and how it, you know, was also used as safeties yeah it It, was weaponized to like bring them in to like lure people in but in reality like it's that's the was it was so far from the truth of why they were reaching out in this way right and it breaks my heart too because there is such a rich spiritual um practice um in africa like that's mm-hmm. what religion is is it's more spiritual than this kind of you know business like situation um from catholicism or otherwise um and they now today like there is a stigma around i'll i'll say like witchy people like people who might <laughs> believe in things that aren't um 
underneath a, a steeple with a cross on top, mm-hmm. you know? And that, say it's like devilish. Right. But also mm-hmm. what are the, what does that say about what we're saying about people who are from countries that regularly practice this? What is what is that saying about people who earnestly practice voodoo? Like it's another intersection of a way to keep a whole group down. It's like mm-hmm. they can't praise. Like, right. are we not drinking blood halfway through this mass? You know, it's like, I'm confused. What? Anyway, I'm not confused, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it gets, it's getting silly, y'all. It's getting silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, thought it was uh, interesting how they mentioned that a lot of the people that are like most dedicated um, are also those that are the poorest. And I mm-hmm. understood that to be too. Um, more of the Catholic religion, not to the like spiritualism or the voodoo. Yeah. Was it, I th- did I, do I remember that incorrectly? No, I, I think that you're right because, because um, if the Catholic church is providing the the town with goods and the, in order to get that, then you have to mm. participate, then it makes sense that the poor people would trust that the people who give them bread Mm. um are good people mm-hmm. and we have that today um i have a lot of thoughts about tithing and um mm-hmm. certain ways that certain churches operate um but it's still used as a tactic uh to create a power dynamic that is beneficial for a business and less beneficial for people who just need some hope you know mm-hmm. people weaponize that shit so much they do yeah. Um, another thing um, that is touched on, and we mentioned this before in our conversation, but also in the order of my notes <laughs> from the from the uh, documentary, they got into these conversations about texturism and colorism and language and things like that. Um, but something that was really uh, something that stood out to me a lot was how many different words people would use to describe themselves based on their phenotypes mm-hmm. um, and how different words um, that here in America have been kind of condemned um, are popularly and like more pleasantly used over there because of different connotations to them. Like the word mulatto, which mm-hmm. like here I would not say, you know, yeah. like I, I it's a, it, to me, it's a, ugh, like, get that off my tongue. But and I over remember there, using it previously. You do. Like, I, don't, I don't I don't remember I remember using that <laughs> right we told yeah we have a little bit yeah. of a different experience but I remember using it and not like regularly but I just remember somehow using it like as a kid mm. um amongst my friend group because I had um again you know our where I grew up was so diverse mm-hmm. um that there were a lot of mixed families and so um I mean, I don't know if this gets too far off topic, but not topic, but so mulatto or um, redbone. Oh, my God. um, Yes. Yeah. So (laughs) stuff like that. I remember, again, not using using, but having at least said it in some sort of context. Yeah. Yeah. As we're like talking about the color of our own skin (laughs) amongst us. And we're in like, child, we in middle school, you know? Right. (laughs) Anyway, but yes, middle schoolers try to figure it out, right? right? And that language gets to middle schoolers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, but I you know, I think that we also kind of grew up in a time where certain where we got into political correctness mm-hmm. um a lot more in language, especially language towards people of color. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like words like mulatto at least in my experience were out pretty early on. Like mm pretty pretty early on i was like eh that doesn't that make my friend feel weird you know that kind of thing um but what i saw in the documentary were people you know disagreeing or agreeing being like i would prefer to be called that because the other word is worse mm-hmm. and that shit was that was mind-boggling i'm also not mixed race so i don't know maybe that's sure. normal like i don't think so i mean i don't think so i'm not mixed race either but um, I don't believe that that is normal um, mm. amongst them, but I believe that it's so much more ingrained in their. It's it's like it's like they're a hundred years behind us mm. of where we are 
in socially. terms of political, so, yeah, socially, economically, in terms of like all of that political correctness across the board, especially as um, we'll kind of get there here shortly. But it wasn't until um, they, so how, so they're kind of in the Jim Crow era, um, especially as like their slavery was finally abolished in um similar time frame of the US. Mm-hmm. So but then you also wonder like if it's in a similar time frame how you know not everything has to be exact but it seems like that maybe they'd be further ahead in terms of that sort of um societal pressure to be lighter skin or you know have quote quote, quote unquote better hair or um whatever that is and I I wonder why not. You know, or mm. is it that there were so many people that maybe that was harder to change the hearts and minds um, to break that than here? I don't know. I don't. I I don't know what the holdup is. My guess is that it's probably like infrastructure things, um, mm. just like trade and and who has the seas and who has the has the money. You know, like that kind of stuff that mm-hmm. could keep keep people away from opportunity but also um i work pretty much i i work solely out of an american mindset and mm-hmm. it's vastly different from other countries so there's also mindset stuff that you know there there's i hear a lot about racism in the uk and how that manifests day to day in 2022 and in my mind, as an American looking at the UK, I'm like, got to go there to be safe, you know? And it's mm. like, nope, that's actually not, not Just great. kidding. So it, there's like an obvious, um, there's an obvious difference that we're just not told about because people don't talk about these things. And I think um, when it comes down to slavery, I'm sure there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, documentation about yeah. how how pitiful the situations were because it was like, nope, this is working for us. So, yeah, you know, well, I, you know, also part of that, too, is like similarly, I believe reparations were paid to the enslavers here, um, yeah. um, but they for sure in Latin America also as slavery was abolished there, um, they sent reparations to the enslavers, but not those that were enslaved. And so um, a lot of people returned to plantations mm-hmm. um, just like here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of Exactly. So, Right. And so that influence of like, well, you're you're kind of free, but you're not. Um, you're still kind of under that thumb of the enslavement period, and yeah. so it, that doesn't exactly give like you know rise to a better life or really creating a life of your own for yourself and your family. Yeah, you know what time. <laughs> Hudan <laughs> popped up in the documentary that kind of sent me. Huh? What? Marcus Garvey's ass. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, not Marcus. Oh, busybody ass everywhere. Yes. But it does make sense uh, makes when talking sense. about you know they you know they spent some time on on Haitians, of course, and um, it's funny. Marcus Garvey to me. <laughs> The Garvey, the Garvey Foundation will have my head, but like Marcus <laughs> Garvey is so um, to me like a divisive uh, character, mm-hmm. and I totally put him. This is so messed up. I look at Marcus Garvey and I see like a Doctor Umar Fifty Cent blend, and I'm like, <gasps> I know that guy. Like I yeah. know that guy, and I don't like. Oh, I don't yeah. Like it is not so funny. It, it's just it's because of media and having my, yeah. glue, my eyes glued to a screen for too long. I don't know these people, but um, it's funny to see him pop up. I was waiting for Frederick Douglass to show up somewhere somehow, right? right. <laughs> like, just like a reference to how'd him, you go you back know? in time? I know, but so he popped up because he lived in Costa Rica and worked as an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that. That wasn't something that we gleaned when we did our episode and, mm-hmm. um, you know, research on him uh, earlier this year. But it does make sense because he was very pro-Black, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, very connected to his own roots um, and wanted everybody, you know, all Black people to be that way. So it does make sense that there was, like, more of a 
a mecca, if you will, um, in Latin America than there is um, or was here in the U.S., you know, when he was in his his heyday. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I wonder if um, that leaving a, a mecca like it's kind of like a um i'm a big fish here but i'm a small fish there type thing mm. um like he was probably doing well and feeling as confident as he was because he got that experience of being able to feel confident and be confident in his skill then i'm just spitballing here i just i still i need to i need to get psychotherapy or something so I could stop seeing 50 cents face. Uh, every time that you see Marcus Garvey. <laughs> something about Marcus Garvey is so get rich, die trying. Like yeah. something about it is so that it's not his fault. It's mine. Anyway. <laughs> That's funny. Marcus was so big about being able to like teach history. Like everyone should know. Right. And um, this kind of ties into Latin America even more because the government um, in certain areas where you have this like large amount of black people, they weren't teaching them about their own history. Do you remember hearing about Yanga in the documentary? Yes. Uh, well, let me Mexico. see where that was, Yanga. Yeah, it's was a city it? in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they go around and they're asking the the kids and Mexico and they're not teaching them about Yanga, which is such a big piece of these palenques, you know, it's the these sort of colonies of freed enslaved people. Yes. And as much work as they did to get their freedom and to, you know, really battle for themselves. Um and then you can't teach that in their schools. like. No. <laughs> and the thing about that one, um, it, and I forget the name of the leader. I feel like it is either Yang or some variation of Yang. You know, mm-hmm. Yang is in their root word. Mm-hmm. Um, but we learned about that right after we learned about Limba, who was fighting uh, captors for 15 years. This mm-hmm. one was for 30 years in the mountains. Wow. Like this is like a, a real, this is a generation um, of people who were able to maintain their freedom. Um, and people today don't get to hear about that. I mean, to, to their, to their, um, to their point of, you know, okay. Yeah. I don't know about this. Now I do. We also have a whole podcast of shit that we never got taught. You know what I mean? So it's got, that is what I'm saying. Like how we have (laughs) this level of now we know for Latin America, like, is there in Ahora Sabemos (laughs) in Latin America somewhere? Like if y'all know, send them my way. I'm curious. Maybe we can like get into some more detail because like it just there's so much that is the same but we're just in different places yeah and you know I, I, again this whole soul draw for me um a lot of people who were enslaved in um Latin America or specifically the Ashanti um they mm. were enslavers themselves in mm-hmm. Latin America mm-hmm. and then they came to America and were forced to be submissive and they were mm-hmm. like what like, wait wait a minute now they're like what's happening <laughs> yeah. here you know yeah. and so yeah, they came here for a horrible awakening um and you know maybe that's part of my lineage which that's not great but uh, you know like is what is it is it that like i don't know i i do think that your ancestors are talking to you in different ways just mm-hmm. you know when you get your interest um kind of settled it's like why why am i leaning towards this decision um there might be a little little push i am i am fully on that train of leave all leave all options open because mm-hmm. anything could be true mm-hmm. you know like anything could be true so yes give it a shot let 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 the ancestors talk follow their guidance donna's gonna end up living in brazil yes <laughs> Grace year. coming with me <laughs> it's happening um, my ex-husband's gonna deal with being the minority and <laughs> we're fine. just all gonna be it's gonna be great it's gonna be great <laughs> What is Man. the biggest piece that you are taking from the documentary? Hmm, the biggest piece that I'm taking from the documentary is that there's a lot more to learn. Um, I definitely was coming into this just 
I knowing nothing. It's like I just don't I know nothing. I couldn't even really participate in conversations about identity, American identity when it came to the intersection of being black and latino because I one don't have that experience and two don't really have that history mm-hmm. um to understand why a certain opinion of mine should be formed. So, um there's a lot to learn. I love the preservation of culture. Um, so I'm really interested now in, um, kind of looking at why, why did this, how did this dish end up here? You know, how did these ingredients end up here as a culture? How did this music end up here and what was it used for? We learned a lot about how music was used for, um, spiritual reasons. Like these, the legacy stuff is, Mm -hmm. is what I'm taking away from the, from the film because it's stuff that I otherwise without the film, I would not have even had any insight into. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, it's inspired me to like connect more from a food perspective. Um, you know, again, I enjoy the music. I enjoy the dancing. Um, I think I, I mentioned this in um, my episode on real relatable and how I went to Spain and I learned um Tango, like mm, how to dance yeah, tango yeah, there. Yeah. And um, that was pretty cool. And then yeah. watching, you know, this documentary and knowing that that's actually an African dance um, or influence, you know, started in Argentina, Argentina. I need to do better there because I feel like I like American. I know how to pronounce these things, mm-hmm. but I keep Americanizing it and I'm going to stop doing that. So that's, uh, yeah, that. Hey, that's a huge thing. I'm cooking more Caribbean food or, you know, sort of Latin inspired food to make that first connection and see how far I can go on um, making that next uh, step to, all right, what part of, you know, Africa, no, what part of Latin America, if any part, did my ancestors come from? And so I want to embrace that piece of who I think that I am, who I feel that I am. Um, and maybe that'll inspire the next move um, to make it, you know, more of a connection with that African um, country. For me. Yeah. So, yeah. That would be so cool. I'm picturing you maybe when, when um, Gray is like 10 or something like that, doing a big trip after doing yeah. a bunch of research. I think that's like beautiful. And I'm excited to see that journey happen. Me too. Obviously, yeah. I'll be podcasting about it. Can you imagine in five years? I mean, I just think it would be really cool. I, I, I and I think that it might be something to document just for the sake of uh, the generation that comes after Gray to understand like, yeah. yeah, we didn't learn about this till 2022 back in the day, you know, mm-hmm. like, please keep learning. There's more, you know, there is a whole lot more. Yeah. We can't have this discussion about the intersectionality between Afro-Latinos in Latin America and then also here with us um, in America without talking about how they have contributed to American culture and society. So this blog on the Library of Congress, um, they go into how... Roberto Clemente, who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates back in the All right, 60s, Donna, has really just like sort of championed this know. connection between Latin America and um, and US, in the U.S. through sport. Obviously, we know that Latin Americans would be a lot more than just, you know, uh, a professional sports player, but just going with this one because this might be a name that you recognize. Quote, unquote, America's favorite pastime is baseball, right? And there was so much influence from Latin American, Afro-Latinos, I should say, in the sport. Before Jackie Robinson broke Major League Baseball's color line with the Dodgers in 1947, in 1947, there were several Afro-Cuban players who had made inroads decades earlier for people of color in the nation's pastime, including Esteban Enrique, Esteban Enrique Bayan, Rafael Almeida, and Armando Marsans. During the ensuing decades, Roberto Clemente, Orlando Cepeda, Mini Minoso, and the Alu brothers, Felipe Mani and 
um, Jesus were among the sport's most important Afro-Latino players, setting the stage for future generations to become some of the brightest stars in the game. In 2020, 10.7% of L <clears throat> of MLB's entire roster was from the Dominican Republic alone. And that kind of speaks to me too, because one of my sports is softball, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of the girl version of baseball, if you will, but a little bit different, a lot different, harder, whatever. So that, yeah, that speaks to me a bit too, because there's representation um, just kind of within the sports. And I remember traveling for um, softball a lot, um, you know, in the off seasons from, you know, middle school or uh, high school ball. And so we would go to these like, small towns and stuff. And all most of us were black or we had some Latinas on our team as well. So we're all girls of color. Man, we would go on the flipping field and dominate, right? Mm -hmm. And it really pissed some people off, but I'm like, whatever. <laughs> like we are absolutely out here showing out. And, you know, I think that is how that, you know, translates to having representation and how it really um, paves a way for generations to come is from people just breaking down those barriers, breaking down the walls and helping to pave that way and have an effect on all of these kids, millions of kids in Latin America or even in the U S and seeing someone who looks like them. Yeah. I, I think another aspect of that is the people who do the work to to remind you of the people who actually opened those doors because there's been so much there's been so many pointed efforts to erase the legacies of these amazing people to the point where we literally do this uh, monthly so that we can find it and learn it. And it's almost to an embarrassing degree, mm -hmm. uh, the amount of uh, very important people who we just don't know about. Mm -hmm. um, for my now, you know, it's another person who is also... Um, doing this kind of work or, or did this kind of work. Um, and that would be um, our Arturo Alfonso Schomburg. Um, and he was a uh, black Latino. He was a black and, and Puerto Rican. Um, his father is of German descent, hence his last name, but he was really popular during the uh, Harlem Renaissance, a historian whose work was basically to give people their history back, back focusing on, um, black history, of course. Um, and I think like what he did was provide as much as he possibly could with the resources that he could in hopes to inspire other people to continue the work that he might not have been able to do. Um, he actually has his own research, um, library in New York. Um, and also he, he wrote an essay, uh, in 1925 that I am going to posit as a name change for, <laughs> for our podcast, because the essay is titled the Negro digs up his past. <gasps> you know, we can, I mean, it's literally <laughs> what we do, you know, <laughs> um, the evolution of now we know, right. Right. <laughs> But it's interesting, right? It's interesting that even back in the early 20s or in the 20s and the th early 30s, um, people were doing the work that we're trying to do. And we're still there's still so much more depth. There's still things like in Latin America, um, legacies, hundreds and hundreds of years back that are connected to us sitting right here that you know, books have been burned. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like there's so much to find and so much to mine. Um, and there's a lot of people doing the work, but Arturo, I, I'm gonna guess inspired most of people, uh, most of the people who started that work that inspired the next generation to the point where we have black scholars across the board, you know? And he has officially inspired our new tagline. Yes. yes. Digging up the past. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And, and now, now you know. know. 
of course, you guys, we will drop all of the links to the sources and resources that we have used for the production of this episode in the show notes. So be sure to check that out for the content of the episode, but also for our Now You Know segment. We appreciate y'all for joining us each and every month. If you think that more people can benefit from this conversation, please be sure to share the podcast with a friend or family member. Also, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to Now We Know wherever you listen. You can find me on Instagram at Donna Janine, or if you want to drop us a note, any feedback, or maybe suggestions on people that you'd like us to cover, send us an email at realrelatablepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.